0: So we're going to have a time of discussion like we normally do. Hopefully that kind of woke us up. And I think we have two runners uh, this evening. We have Lucas Christian and Landon Tesler. Both of which I remember were this high and now could break me in half. So they're going to be running mics. So just raise your hand and we'd love for you to get a mic before we talk because people online, they can hear better that way. And so can everyone else here, especially myself. Who here is quickly losing their hearing daily. Anyone at all? That's me, all right. Have you done this move yet, where you have to do this when people talk to you? Yeah, that's a piece of humble pie. All right, with that being said, let's tap that button. Here we are. This is our entire text that we did this morning. Now, truth be told, we really concentrated on 15 through 18, and we're going to be focusing in on verses 20 through 23 with some other stuff, but that's our entire text. So with that being said, What are some things that stood out to you? Maybe it was convicting. Maybe it was new. Maybe it was a reminder of an old truth. Observations, applications. Anyone at all want to start out? Or questions, for that matter. Things that stood out to you. Dave, we have Dave right over here. It was interesting to through this morning and then I don't remember exactly where it was but instead of death I put the word separation which mm-hmm. gave a different light to the whole thing right. and which verse was that that you did that
1: <laughs> all of them
0: yeah <laughs> okay yeah excellent point thank you David anyone else observations applications okay we got Luke over here thank you Lucas that was epic running. Yes. I mentioned this in our breaking ground time our, uh, on Wednesday, but verse 20 is something that uh, sticks out to me in a special way where it says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness, which is an interesting sentence to consider because why would we, we want to be free from righteousness? But to me, it reminds me of God's love that if we want sin to be our master, he will allow us to be free from the, of the control of righteousness and he will lovingly allow us to let sin be our master. Okay. Yeah. We're actually going to be unpacking that verse and we'll see why Luke is completely wrong. And no, I'm teasing you, Luke. I'm teasing you. But we will touch on that. So thank you, Luke. Anyone else? Observations, applications, things that maybe spoke to you hey, you know, I've never looked at it this way. And Yes, we have right up here, so fastest one. Thank you. Look at that. Right right here, right here, yep.
1: Uh, this morning you would mentioned and so many times that we always say to ourselves we have a free will. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned that there's no such thing as a free will. We have choices that we make in this life. Sure. But there is no free will. We either go one way or the other. There are two things that we have to face. We have to either face eternal death or eternal life. And the parts that you had mentioned, too, in Matthew, two gates, um, two types of trees, two types of builders in the book of Matthew. And I never really gave that much thought because when you talk when you talked about that we don't have we have no free will, we seem to think that we do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, throughout our lives we say, Well I have a free will. I can do this and I can do that, but we don't have a free will. We have choices that we have to make and God allows us to make those choices. Mm-hmm. Whether good or whether bad and we have to suffer the consequences or the rewards of what choices that we make.
0: Yeah. No, I appreciate that. We're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Sin and death, Christ or Jesus. So, excellent point. There's really it's not about loss of freedom, it's about who we are gonna serve. Anyone anyone else? Observations, thoughts, applications, things that stood out to you. Any at all? Yes, Laura over here. Proverbs.
1: Proverbs maybe. the Lord the man, you know, plans his steps but the Lord directs Mm them. Not getting it exact,
0: but. <laughs> that's all right. I never do either. <laughs>
1: so, anyway, that's just kept going
0: through my head. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. I appreciate that. Anyone else? Observations? Things that stood out to you? Yes. Andrea. And so far, Landon is winning three to one. <laughs> Thank um, you, Landon. Yes.
1: Context is everything. So, what stood out to me was the, the meaning of slave in the passage is being willingly a servant of. Yeah.
0: Amen. And how you, it, it's neat how it actually kind of bleeds out of the passage of that context when it says pre, who you present yourselves as slaves or obedience to. Yeah. Anyone else? Observations, things that, that struck you? Any applications? All right. Yep. We have faith right over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. Wow. Faith. you Wow. <laughs>
2: Um, I like the example of Billy, and how that um, he did not have to listen to Sergeant anymore when he was not any longer a soldier. Yeah. I thought that was helpful. But I also was thinking about how earlier in the message you had said, "We are. We say we're, we're child of God, but then we're not living like it. We're just saying it in name. And if we didn't really spend time with." A master and we didn't really listen to a master how could we really say we're slaves to that master and i think that's a convicting thing every day that we have to think about that if we really are saying we're a christ follower how much time is he getting you know and um, one of the ladies in my bible study says thrown before the phone and i think that it not just phone mm-hmm. but so many things do we go to the throne first or or is it sort of a last recourse when we're in trouble and mm-hmm. that's convicting and challenging i think for me and for probably everybody else
0: yeah, I think for all of us, except, yes, all of us. Anyone else? Thank you, Faith. Observations, applications, things that spoke to you in that passage. Anyone else? Yes, we have Garrett over there. And thank you, Landon. Appreciate that. <laughs> Lucas, do you, are you just holding? Okay, go ahead, Garrett. <laughs>
2: Um, I was just thinking through the contrast between how when you're a slave to sin, you seek it. You seek sin, and you are perceiving enjoyment or pleasure from it, but it never satisfies, and you're empty and broken on the other side. And how that's such a contrast to being a slave to Christ, where there is joy and peace when we are, as you said this morning, embracing him with our inner being and our heart um, as we obey and walk out in obedience. And it's just... Such an amazing contrast that our our servitude ends in joy and peace and and grace versus brokenness.
0: Yeah, there certainly is a huge contrast between the masters, is there not? Sin and death is a cruel slave master. Um, And, of course, Jesus Christ is loving, kind, merciful, and gives us gifts. There's a world of difference between the two. Anyone else? Observations. We have Kurt Ellis over there. Thank you, Lucas. I I didn't really
1: have any comments. I just wanted Lucas (laughs) to win one.
0: I knew that, Kurt. That is a way to cheapen the moment. And that is a moral failure on your part. (laughs) Anyone else? Observations. Things that spoke to you. All right. We'll walk through this together. Um, And uh, so let's condense this a little bit. We're going to take all these words... And just to let you know, you're going to get out tonight. We're going to touch the space bar, and we're going to condense it down to that right there. In fact, let's hit the backspace. There, we'll keep it right there. I'll tell you when to hit. Well, I probably won't remember, but when I, say the verse, when I say the words in verse 15, you can tap that space bar. So we're going to be looking at this tonight a little bit more condensed. But before we do so, let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll just walk through this together. And obviously we'll get out by design 10, 15 minutes before the hour. Spend that time talking with one another, uh, getting to know one another. Gracious Father, um, help us to see this passage and not just see it, but uh, apply it to our lives. Have it renew our minds. Father, you are good. We do ask that um, we would be your slaves, your servants. And that would be seen in how we use the parts of our body. Um, Lord, start with me. And it's in your son's precious name, amen. All right, so let's hit the space bar. Here we go. The first thing we see here is that in verse 15, Paul in some way is gonna repeat the argument that he did in Romans chapter six, verse one. It's almost word for word as you see it up there. In Romans chapter six, one, it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Far from it, God forbid. What an abhorrent idea. Then just 14 verses later, He basically says it again in a slightly different form. uses different pronouns, by the way, instead of yous, we's. What then are we, Paul just kind of includes himself in there, to sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? Same answer, far be it, far from it. So once again, Paul's going to have to fend off some arguments of accusations from both sides of a single subject. In short, Paul's once again anticipating being accused of exalting righteousness, out of one side of his mouth, and then giving license to sin out the other side of his mouth. So he's going to approach it in a little bit different way this time, 14 verses later. Paul will address this double-headed monster of concern and accusation by drawing from some very familiar imagery in Rome at this time, and we touched on it this morning, and that is the imagery of slavery, all right? In fact, um, as we go through this, now remember, this is not you know, capturing and forcing people, but um, voluntary servitude is the context here. In fact, I don't know about you because I'm a little bit of a history geek. Um, In my reading, I found that, um, did you know that there were so many slaves in Rome, all right? Some estimates put that the church in Rome was roughly about 50% slaves or freed, former voluntary slaves, all right? and that in Rome there were so many slaves that the city was encouraged to discourage any slaves from having any kind of identifying mark or uniform for fear that they would start to realize that they had power in numbers. So they wanted to make sure that that wasn't seen because there was just so many of them in the city of Rome. And so he he borrows from that language here. Now, the word "slaved" or "enslaved occurs. Now grab this eight times in this passage alone. Four times we see the word "obey" in obedience in this. So the issue here is very, very clear. And here it is: Whose slave are you? In a city where this is very common I can speak in human terms, he says in a little bit, "Whose slave are you?" It, because here's the truth of the matter is, no one is free. We are the slave to sin or we are slave to righteousness. There are only two types of masters, none that are free. You talked about that. Either we are a slave to Christ or a slave to death. You see, what Paul is doing here is he's shifting the faulty emphasis that many were putting on the direction to the real issue. And this is the real issue. And here it is. The question isn't, how do I keep my freedom? How do I keep my freedom? That's not the question. The question is, should I serve sin or should I serve Christ? Those are the two options. A lot of times we view, it, and you know, I want to keep my freedom, I want to keep my independence. It doesn't exist. We are either under one or we are under the other. So the question is, every time you leave your door, every time that you wake up, am I going to serve sin or am I going to serve Christ? Am I I a slave to sin or a slave to Christ? And if I'm a slave to Christ... I'm no longer under the power, and like Billy did, and the Marines do not have to submit to it in my life. i want to bring this up right here. Those who think, and believe me, I've been there, those who think their rejection of Christ results in freedom, that it results in freedom to do what they want, only find themselves deeper enslaved to another master named sin. Now I want to pause here for a moment. Because on Wednesday when we broke ground in the prayer meeting room, the fireplace room, yes. In fact, that was our last afternoon digging deeper. And now we're going to be meeting for the rest of the school year here on Wednesday night at 7. And I would love for you guys to be here. Because the passage we study on Sunday morning will be up there. And we just start dialoguing about it. We just start studying it, pulling it apart, asking questions. It's, I enjoy that time. In fact, I learn a lot from everyone in the room. But I want to pause here for a moment because on Wednesday, when we broke ground in the afternoon, there was a really good question that was raised. All right? If I am a slave to one of two masters, and it's really not a choice of whether or not about freedom, but who I'm going to serve, if I'm a slave to two masters, whether it be sin or life in Christ, then what does the Bible mean when it says that I am free in Christ? I would always often hear that as a young person. Well, the answer is. Rather simple, but frankly, it was misunderstood in my life for a very long time. And, we, and the answer is found in the illustration of Billy. We're free from the power of sin. We're no longer under the authority. Romans chapter 8, Galatians chapter 5. We can go into this world and, and say to our old slave master, sin. While it is true you have a new master in Christ, there is a, I'm, I'm going to stop there for a minute. While it's true you have a new master, no longer under sin, There's a world of difference between the two of them. Garrett brought this up just a minute ago in the contrast. Your old master's wages was death. That's the wages we get for being enslaved to sin. Death. Sin also is a cruel taskmaster that seeks to destroy us. All right? Our new master, Jesus, does not pay wages. We touched on that this morning. He gives us gifts. And rather than being a harsh uh, taskmaster who seeks to destroy us, Jesus is gentle. He is loving. He is merciful. He wants to restore you and I. That's how we are free in Christ. We are free from the power and under a completely different master. In fact, we notice this truth in verse, chap- in, in verse 23. Verse 23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God, it's not a wage, is eternal life. In or through Jesus Christ, our Lord, depending on who here was raised in Awana King James Version, versus the Nasby version, that's the difference there. All right. Notice the wages of the master: sin pays his death, and the wages are paid. By the way, I, I love this in my studies. I think this was Loose that brought this up. The wages is not something you just receive when you die. The wages of sin is death. You receive those wages in increments. You get them during your life as well because, uh, Dave, you brought this up. Death is what? Separation. We receive, a lot of times, we just like to think ultimately. The wages of sin is ultimately going to be eternal separation from God. All right? And eternal damnation. But just like the wages you receive now, you get it in increments. You get checks. No one says, hey, you're going to work for me for 10 years, and at the end of the 10 years, I'm going to give you this giant lump sum. No, we'd like it at the end of the week, if that's possible. So the wages of sin are both ultimately when we die, but they're also being given to us in our life today, being separated from God, which slowly brings death today. It brings death in our relationships, does it not? Does sin not separate? In our mind, our spirit, our body, do we not receive the wages of death even now? And will ultimately bring death to our souls when we die? So there's a payday that is going out from the taskmaster of sin, even today. Now notice, serving Christ doesn't come with a wage, it comes with a gracious gift. Believers do not receive wages they deserve, rather they receive the free gift of eternal life that they do not, because it cannot be earned. So what does Paul mean here? Eternal life is not some quid per quo. It's not quid per quo for living right. It's not, hey, if you live really hard and you live right and you do the very best you can, you might receive the wages of eternal life. No, eternal life cannot be earned. Christ has already earned it. He can only bestow it as a free gift. So again, huge difference between the masters that we serve. So what does it say? Here's a question here. Maybe you can apply it to yourself. I know I have to. Whenever I write this, I try to write it as though I'm speaking to myself because, frankly, I need it. Of all the people who are convicted about Sunday's sermons, whether it be encouraged or convicted, I want you to know I'm patient number one. I have to hold conversations with myself from behind that pulpit while talking about the Word of God, while the Holy Spirit is talking to me and, try, and convicting my hearts of it. My heart of it. So what does it say about Brett? What does it say about Paul or you? If someone claims Christ, but still embraces their old way of life. We have generations upon generations and generations of that 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 have been birthed out of our church. We're at home right now, not giving a rip about Christ. Now, some of us are in church not giving a rip about Him here, All right, But we have to ask ourselves, what does it say? if someone claims Christ but still embraces their old way of life in that not only do they oh I jumped ahead hmm do I want to go back there I do did I get too far ahead of myself I'm going to pick up halfway down the page I want to cast our eyes on something here since salvation is not a quid pro quo Paul gives a mark of authentic salvation he gives a mark here of authentic salvation About when authentic grace, true faith, and genuine salvation, what it will do and what it will bring to a person who leaves their old master of sin behind. All right? And you see it right here. From the things from which you were ashamed. Where is that? From the things from which you were ashamed. Is it up there? Yeah, let's click the button. Maybe it's. There it is. Yes. From the things from which you were ashamed. I want you to grab this right here, and I want to grab it here. The mark of true salvation, there is a sense of being ashamed of what characterized your life before Christ. What characterized your life before Christ now becomes something you don't want anything to do with. I see that in my own life. In fact, we'll talk about that in a moment when we talked about being free from the righteousness while we were enslaved to sin. To be ashamed of the things which we once were one of the marks of a true child of god that has true salvation who is no longer using their body parts for sin but for righteousness true salvation is a sense of being ashamed of what's characterized your life before christ so here we are what does it say if someone claims christ but still embraces sin is not ashamed at all says i don't give two hoots yep i've said the prayer i've done that you know the rest of the story here And that not only are they not ashamed, but they celebrate what used to be in their life and embrace it. The primary purpose of God's grace is not to excuse sin, but to deliver us from it. Is it not? It's not to justify the sin. We talked about that this morning. It's to justify the sinner, to transform us. The more we know Jesus, the more we want to be, and Dave brought this up, separated. The more we know Christ, the more we want to be separated from what once was our lives. In fact, we're ashamed of it. I don't know about you, but when you're ashamed of it, do you run up and embrace the thing? When you're ashamed of something, what do you do? You create what? Give me some words. Distance. I don't want to be associated with that anymore. I don't want that to be identified. There are. I look back in the early years of my ministry, and even before I was in ministry, and I look back at the things I said and how I conducted myself, and I'm absolute. I want nothing to do with that. I don't want to be associated with it. I feel ashamed of it, because I made life more about me than my master Jesus Christ. The more we know about Jesus, the more we will want to be separated from sin. In fact, we'll grow to hate that what puts our Savior on the cross. I know it's a simple picture, but we should grow in our hatred for what put Christ on the cross. Not celebrate it, not embrace it, but hate it. We are to hate what God hates, love what God loves. God hates sin. And that ought to grow in our lives. Not excuse it, not vote it out of the church, not justify it, because that's a counterfeit grace. Counterfeit grace justifies sins. True grace justifies the sinner. We'll grow to hate that which put our Savior on the cross in the first place, which is our sin. That's what repentance is, to turn away from it. Because here's the raw truth. Apart from Christ, even if our deeds were amazing, by the way, and this is where Luke brought it up, okay? where we're In a minute, we're going to talk about being free in relation to righteousness. All right? Apart from Christ... Even if your deeds are amazing, let's just say you don't know Christ, but your deeds are amazing. Even if you gave all your money away, even if you championed every social issue on the planet, here it is, apart from Christ, we have no true righteousness. Amen, church? He is our, he, everything else is a filthy rag. No matter how amazing I am without Christ, I have no righteousness. That's what Paul means here when he says, for when you were slaves to sin, right? Under sin, the master of sin, you were completely free from anything that had to do with true righteousness. You had none of your own. All your good works are as filthy rags. You had no true relationship with righteousness apart from that which only Jesus Christ can give us. We were free from righteousness. We had no relationship to it. But then Christ imputed his righteousness to us. That's the righteousness. I want to touch real quickly on something we looked at this morning. You became obedient from the heart, Amy and I were talking about this this afternoon at dinner time, and about just how a lot of times we were just raised to say some words, and then a code of conduct was given to us, and this is now what you do now who you are, now who you 're becoming, not what 's transforming your heart, so just follow these rules. And your life will work out. How'd that work out for generations in the church? Anyone? No. Terrible. You became obedient from the heart. Faith and and obedience, I want you to grab this, faith and obedience are inescapably related in all of the Word of God. All of the Word of God. There is no saving faith in God that does not produce fruit of obedience. You were saved unto good works. Here's something, fruit of the Holy Spirit. How many here have ever seen someone who's really good at doctrine and have got it nailed down and they pick it up and beat people to death with it? Anyone at all? I think we might have seen that from time to time within the Baptist church, all right? Where it's like, hey, I have sound doctrine. I'm going to beat the snot out of you with it. It ought to be transforming our lives. Not being used to somehow beat people into submission from the heart. There is no saving faith in God that does not produce fruit of the Holy Spirit, fruit of obedience. And if there is no growing obedience, there is no godly faith. If one is missing, you might want to check if the other is present. Now, if you're anything like me, there's a a piece of me that wants to fight that. So I'm just going to read some scriptures and just let the scriptures speak into our defiant hearts a little bit. In Titus 2.14, it says this, Christ redeems us from every lawless deed to purify himself a people. Now, that's the wonderful, imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ that we could never earn. There's no question about that. But then look how he finishes it in Titus 2.14. Christ redeems us from every lawless deed to purify himself a people, here it is, that are zealous from the heart to do good works. Zealous from the heart. Salvation is according to the foreknowledge of God, Paul says, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now grab these words in order that those who believe will obey Jesus Christ. And you'll know they're my disciples and that they love me if they obey my commands. Friends, upon salvation, we have been called to a profound obedience. And have become recipients of a glorious benefit that is ours in Jesus Christ. And what is that glorious benefit? It's not your hell insurance papers that you stamped. Here it is. It's much more than that. A radically transformed heart is what salvation gives us. A radically transformed heart. I have a question for you, and feel free to answer this, okay? When you love someone from the heart, what are you willing to do for them? Talk to me. If you truly love someone from the heart. What are you willing to do for them? You would die for them. You'd die for your wife? Yes? You pause. Did you notice There's the pause the there? there. <laughs> She's right here. Okay, you would die for her. What else? Talk to me. Similar answers, but let's, let's just answer. What would you do? You would help them with anything. What's that? Whatever is required. And if you love them, it's, it's not a, oh. you know, here we go again. Let me ask those of you who may be married, all right, or are going to be married. If your spouse was in a burning house, would you not run in to save them? Okay, bad example. All right, I just I can see some of your faces right now. I don't know. No, it's been a long, long Barbara, I didn't even see you twitch over there, all right? People are thinking about it. You know, what is his life insurance is still. Now let's move forward. Let's go this way. Remember Sam DeMann? You know, he needed a kidney transplant in order to save his life and Chrissy Demand said I got two. And she was a perfect match and through that she was able to through God's providence extend Sam's life. Sam used to just cry. He was so thankful. He'd give Christy hugs and say, this is the girl that saved my life. Christy barely had to breathe a desire, and Sam was there. He championed her for the years that he was alive. If a person gives you a kidney that saves your life, that will transform your heart. I have a cousin who was killed in a car accident years ago. Healthy as a and uh, he was brain dead they harvest all of his organs they donated them out and one of them went to an older man and he's still alive because of it and once a year the family goes to visit that man and they put a Steph, thank you and they listen to their dad's heart and that recipient that heart says, Any time, any place, anything, I owe my life to you. We love you guys. Changes our heart. Doesn't keep us cold. Think about people in their relationship with Christ. Are we cold and different? Or alive, sensitive, and available to Christ? If you found out that the person who gave you life needed or wanted something from you, would it not be your desire to do everything you could? That's what we're talking about here. My friends, here's the point. What draws us to obey Christ should not simply derive out of duty. Sure, there's times when you don't feel like it. Then run the stinking race. Run it in a way, in such a way that you win it. Be disciplined. Do what's right, even when you don't feel like it. But it goes beyond that. We should not just serve Christ out of duty, but out of love, out of gratitude. Once we receive salvation as a gift through Jesus Christ, we should be willing to walk, walk over hot coals to obey Him, to glorify His name, to worship Him, to serve Him, to offer our body parts to righteousness, to offer our bodies uh, as parts to edify the church. Here is an unbelievable, undeniable, universal truth that Paul is saying here, that every time he writes to the church, he says this, Jesus Christ alone paid the cost of your salvation. The cost of your salvation. There it is. But he calls us to pay the cost of discipleship. To deny ourselves. To follow him. By the way, daily. Daily. Because he's our master, not sin. Jesus Christ alone paid the cost for our salvation. But he calls us to pay the cost of discipleship. Oh, in this world you will have what? Trouble. And when you hit that trouble, retreat. Run away and live for yourself. No. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Friends, everyone serves a master. There's no such thing as about, about losing freedom. We don't have any freedom. We're slave to sin, and we're slave to righteousness. The question isn't, how can I keep my freedom? The question is simply, who will I serve? That's the only question on the table. Here's a question for you. Who are you serving? Who are you serving? Who am I serving? And what Paul says here is very simple. It's so simple. I'm going to read it just slowly here. You can tell a great deal who a person belongs to by the pattern of their behavior. You can tell a great deal who a person belongs to, sin or Christ, by the pattern of of their behavior. By who they serve more. That behavior does not need to be perfect. I was talking to a young man this morning after the service. Tears in his eyes. That behavior does not need to be perfect. I thank God for that. But it should be growing. It should be growing more and more. It should should be out of love and not merely duty. So with that being said, can you go back to the, I think it's slide number two. Slide number two. Let's go one more after this. There it is. With all of that, I'm not going to do much color commentary, but with everything from Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, as we read this and your mind floods with the study of our details, just allow them to teach you. Allow the Holy Spirit. Therefore, pointing back to the first command in Romans, don't live for sin. Sin is not to reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. You've been saved from that. Not just hell, but from that. And don't go on presenting your mouth and in your, in your feet and in your, in your hands and your mind and your, your body and your organs as sins of instruments of unrighteousness, including that, which would have been a strong one as he writes this in Corinthians, sexual immorality. But rather present yourselves as a voluntary slave, not to sin, but to God. As those who are alive from the dead, who are alive from being separated from God. And your body parts, rather than instruments of sin, of righteousness for God. For sin shall not be a master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Far from it, God forbid. Do you not know that the one to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, that tells you who you're a slave to, the one whom you obey. So which one are you, Paul says to the church, who's fighting over everything? Are you a slave to sin resulting in death, but by the way, you're going to get paychecks during lifetime? Is there going to be sin resulting in separation or obedience resulting in unification with the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Thanks be to God that though you were once slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you entrusted. What form? The teaching of Jesus Christ. And after being freed from sin, you become slaves to righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because it's such a huge concept. It's going to break down. Presented your bodies as slaves of impurity, sexual morality, lawlessness, resulting, by the way, in further bondage. We've all seen that. People who claim their freedom. And with each passing day, they're absolutely crushed. Crushed by the weight of sin. They have no hope. So now present your body parts as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Because God's grace is just as much for our sanctification as it is our justification. Are we really going to say that grace can can save our souls but not transform our hearts. For when you were slaves to sins, you, were, you had nothing to do with righteousness. There was nothing you could bring to God. Therefore, what benefit is it driving from these things which you are now ashamed of? For the outcome of those things was separation. But now having been freed from sin, voluntarily enslaved to God, you derive the benefit resulting in a changed life. And finally, eternal life if I were to sum it all up, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is separation. But the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Church, there is no such thing as carnal Christianity. Dear Heavenly Father, dismiss us with your blessing. Thank you for your word. May it grow in us. May it be a spring of water that springs up continually, growing We never thirst again. Father, may we be trees that bear good fruit. May we be on the door and the road that leads to eternal life. May we be the builder on the rock and not on the sand. And may you be our master, not the wealth of this world. We love you, Lord. Dismiss us with your blessing. In your name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Have a wonderful night. You're dismissed.